Welcome to Your Cyber Path, the podcast that helps you get your dream cybersecurity job by sharing the secrets of experienced hiring managers and top cybersecurity professionals with you. Now, on to the show. Hi, welcome to Your Cyber Path. I'm Kip Boyle, and I'm here with Jason Dion. Hi, Jason. Hey, Kip, how's it going? I'm doing really well today. In fact, um, I, in my head, what I'm thinking about right now is how cool it is that you and I now have a course up on Udemy. It's called uh, Implementing the NIST Cybersecurity Framework. It's been up there for like about a month. And I keep getting these emails from them telling us like what our student count is. And the last one I saw yesterday, it said something like 1,100 students. And it's only been up there for what, a, a month? Something like oh, that? Yeah. Yeah, it's been going fast. Uh, people are really loving the course. The reviews are great on it. And you know what I like about the course is it's really different than a lot of the other courses I do. Uh, in a lot of the other courses I do, it's very tied to a certification and it's very theory-based of, hey, here's what the CIA triad is and things like that. Uh, but you know, when you and I partnered up on this NIST course, we wanted to make sure it was very practical and hands-on. Um, and it's almost kind of the guide of running your business, right? It's, it's how you do these NIST cybersecurity assessments on organizations every day. And we walk people right through that. And I really like how that turned out. It becomes very practical and very uh, usable in the real world. Yeah, yeah. Especially, um, you know, how, how do you find your top risks? And then what do you do to mitigate them? And then, you know, what's your priority scheme, right? Because you've got limited budget, unlimited risks. How do you reconcile that, you know? And we tackle all that in the course. Anyway, it, it's, it, I just... Sorry, I couldn't help it. It's front of mind for me right now. I'm so excited. I just had to talk about it. But listen, uh, our guest today is Nancy Hunter, and she's an experienced hiring manager. She agreed to be on the show to help uh, the folks in our audience. Again, just, you know, what's our theme here? Our theme is you really need to understand what's in the mind of the hiring manager. How do they see candidates? And the better you can do at getting into that headspace, I think the more irresistible you will be as, uh, as, as a candidate, right? So, uh, so Nancy's here. Let me tell you about Nancy. So she is a vice president. She's the chief information security officer and the data privacy officer at, wait for it, the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia. Wow. Hi, Nancy. Thanks for being here. How are you? Hi, Kip. Hi, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Before I begin any presentations or talks, I need to say, yes, I work for the Federal Reserve, but Everything I say today are my thoughts, my ideas. They are not reflected upon by my employer or the Federal Reserve System or anything like that. So happy to be here and thank you for the opportunity. Well, that's, uh, that's fantastic, Nancy. I, I appreciate the caveat. And uh, you know, people who have listened to other episodes that we've done know that you pretty much said the same thing Jason says all the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're in good company. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Because I, I, I don't think I don't think you're you're I don't think you're uh, out of your uh, other position yet, are you, Jason? You're close, aren't you? Friday, Friday, yeah, retirement's Friday, so it's wow. it's exciting. It's coming up. <laughs> By the time oh. people listen to this, retirement. Yes. Oh my, that's wonderful. Congratulations. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, and so then once you're retired, maybe, uh, you know, in hindsight, uh, with a little bit of self uh, editing, maybe we can talk a little bit more about some of the things <laughs> you've done in the past. So anyway, well, listen, everybody, uh, we Nancy has so much great information to share with us. Let's get right into it. The first thing that I want to know, Nancy, and, I, and a lot of people will uh, prob probably ask you this because they asked me and Jason, how did you get into cybersecurity? Which, I mean, when I tell you, when I was a little boy, I was not running around telling everybody that I was going to be a cybersecurity person when I grew up. What happened? How did it happen for you? I fell into cyber. So I have a math degree and um, I was already geeky. 
So I was in technology. I was an application development manager in the middleware space. And somebody said to me, I'd like to build a third-party risk program. Would you want to lead that group? Knew nothing about it. Actually, the job title was OSP manager, and I didn't know what OSP meant. It meant outside service provider. I had to look it up before I interviewed. So it gave me an opportunity for a very large bank to build their third-party risk program for a credit card division. And it just did really well. I was invited to become the governance lead for the whole bank. And um, it took me into cybersecurity, and I've never looked back. But it came from me saying yes to an opportunity that I didn't know anything about, but was willing to try. Boy, that's a common story, right? That's that's kind of my story conceptually. I was just doing a, a technology job, but I was doing it in a classified computing context, and so I kind of I backed into it, right? Um, and I and and I I kind of I kind of liked it, and so I volunteered to do more, and that was easy because everybody else was like, "Computer security, bleh, this stuff stinks." You want to do it here, do it all. Right. So <laughs> just like, I think being open to opportunities, right? Exactly. Being open to opportunities and being open to learning because I didn't know anything about this area and going into it from the third party perspective, it meant that I got to look at all of the controls related to cybersecurity, because when you outsource a service, you do not outsource the risk. So I was very fortunate that I got thrown into the pool and said, go swim. And I swam as fast as I could. And I learned from everybody I could possibly learn from. I remember a guy sitting with me teaching me about encryption. You know, I, I had no idea. Um, but the people were kind enough to give me their time and their energy. And I was soaking it in and trying to learn everything I could. And you had a math yeah. background. So that I was did. helpful. Yeah, math and chemistry. And I, I started out as an actuarial student. And I still think Learning um, how to solve problems is what's been helpful throughout my entire career. I'm still solving problems. They're not mm -hmm. specifically math problems, but I'm still solving problems. I, I want to point something out that Nancy just said. Uh, she said you can outsource the service, but you can't outsource the risk or the responsibility. Um, nowhere is that more true than cloud computing. Everyone these days wants to move to the cloud. They think it's going to solve all their problems. And really, all you're doing is moving your servers to somebody else's servers, right? You're still responsible for the data. You're still responsible for the, the governance of it and the oversight of it. They may do all the technical back end, but you're still got the responsibility for that. And I see a lot of CIOs who, who miss that key distinction. And I just think it's important for our audience to, to remember that because when you're in an interview, you know, and somebody talks about you're outsourcing a service or you're outsourcing to the cloud, um, you still own that. You still have the responsibility for that. And so uh, it's one of those things that in a lot of organizations, while the tech roles may be getting outsourced to these third-party providers and cloud providers where a lot of those roles are happening, the actual governance and the GRC part is still staying with the organization because it has to. So as you're thinking about which jobs you want, GRC is one of those jobs that's really hard to outsource. In fact, I don't think you really can outsource it because you still have to own that responsibility. Great point. Exactly right. You own it, accept it, and, and take it from there. Yeah. There's a little saying that I like about cloud computing, uh, and it's this. Uh, the cloud is just somebody else's computer. Yep. <laughs> exactly. It Something sounds magical. It's not. Right. And, and I personally love the cloud. My company, everything we do, we run on the cloud. Yeah. Uh, we try cloud to do first. everything. We're cloud first. We're actually serverless first as well. We try to do everything without servers, right? Which means we've then taken that layer of extraction even further and let Amazon deal with all the underlying right. servers for us. Right. And we don't have to worry about it. 
but we still own the responsibility to make sure our stuff is secure and those services from end to end are secure. So if you are, if you're listening to this episode and you've, uh, and you're thinking, I need to build a home lab, right? Cause everybody says, you know, you need to build a home lab so you can, you know, practice on this stuff. Um, don't do it in a garage. Don't do it in your basement. Do it in the cloud. That's the best place for people to build a home lab these days. Um, it's just, that's the future. You know, the future is here. So, um, so I think um, that's a way you can, if you're not, if you don't know what cloud is yet, that's a great way to get in there and, and, and figure it out. Hey, Nancy, when we were doing show prep, we were talking about different, different things that, you know, that were important to you that you wanted to make sure that you shared with our audience. And one thing that you talked about was how important it is to, uh, to promote from within and to hire true entry level, uh, you know, folks. And, you know, uh, the last time we had a guest on, it was Naomi Buckwalter. And she talked a lot about, you know, uh, you know, gatekeeping and how employers are just doing too much of that these days. So what are your thoughts? I know Naomi and we are kindred spirits in um, <laughs> wanting to make sure that there's a space for people to enter cybersecurity. I believe that there are some transferable skills and some personality traits that just make you a great cybersecurity employee. One is that you're hungry, that you want to learn. And so that ability, I can't teach that. I can't pay for that. Um, I don't necessarily look for this whole group of I've been doing this, that, specifically with cybersecurity. I'll give you an example. I just hired a librarian. Mm. Great skill set. Um, and she wants to learn. And in that really brief period, she's only been with me a couple of months, she's already gotten a whole bunch of certifications and done some self-learning. I, I can't teach you that. So yes, I encourage people to hire entry-level and make it truly entry-level, not five years worth of experience, but be open to other backgrounds. And you will find that those people, one, are loyal because they're so happy to get into the field, that they are learners, um, that they want to learn. You can give them almost any task and they'll take it to the next level because they're trying to learn and they don't know where that boundary is. It's not, oh, that's not my job. They don't know what their job is. They're just trying to do the best they can. And to do that, you can promote from within. So whenever I lose somebody in my organization, and this was certainly radical when I first started, whenever I lose somebody in my organization, I demote the position to an entry-level position and then try to move somebody up to take on the role that the other person had had. Opens up a door for somebody new and opens up a door for somebody who's already been with you by expanding the scope of their role. So it's a win-win on both fronts. Um, I know it's not always possible to do with startup companies because they need expertise when they first come in. But for many, many other organizations, there are opportunities out there for entry-level positions to just, just try it. And you might not have 100% of the qualifications, but if you have most of the qualifications, there aren't unicorns out there with 100% of the qualifications for what most people can afford to pay for. So apply, just apply for the job, do it. Um, interviewing's a skill. So if you get that interview, you're, you're, you're building on a skill, just apply. And so managers, Give, give people a chance. Bring in those fresh, bring in that fresh blood. We talk about this very item in the hiring uh, handbook, the Cybersecurity Hiring Manager's Handbook, which is an open source project. You can find it on GitHub. And in there, this is one of the, one of the themes. And uh, Naomi Buckwalter is actually contributing an entire section to the handbook that focuses on 
uh, this very topic. And so while you know today we don't see as much of this as I think we need, um, you know, between yourself and Naomi and me and Jason and other people continuing to uh, advocate for this, I think you know hopefully we're going to see we're going to see more of this. But um, these days, I think if you if you want to get a truly entry level job. Uh, Jason and I have been telling people that if, if it's possible, uh, you know, the military or federal service is a great place because they will take you off the street if you have the aptitude and a couple of other qualifications, right, Jason? Yeah, exactly. I, I know on the military side, especially if you're going to go either active duty or reserves, um, they don't expect you to have any background in cyber whatsoever. Um, you know, e even if you're going to go be an air, uh, a, a fighter jet pilot for the Navy or the Air Force, right? You don't already have to have a pilot's license to get picked up and do that. Instead, they hire you based on your aptitude for that. They train you, they put you in the cockpit, they teach you all that over a two or three year period, and then you become a fighter pilot. Well, the same thing happens in cybersecurity. Uh, when I worked with the DOD, the way they do it is they pick up people who have the aptitude, they put them through about an 18 to 24 month schooling program all that while they are on active duty and they're getting paid for that job uh, and when they come out of that they have all their certifications they know how to program in python they know how to do incident response they know how to do penetration testing and then they work for the government for four years as a payback as a military uh, member and then they can decide to stay in for 20 years and retire or they can get out and go civilian uh, or go into the commercial sector and it's a great way to get experience if you're young enough and fit enough to pass the entrance exams and you have a good fit based on your skill set and your aptitude for that. Yeah, I mean, that's really what happened to me, right, is I got in the military and I didn't stay for a, uh, you know, for a full retirement. I left after about six years um, and then went into, into, the, into the private sector. What were you going to say, Nancy? I was going to say that I have heard our FBI recruiter in my region, Serena Coughlin, speak to this as well, that, that you don't have to have every one of the, you know, uh, this, this tick off the box for the specific roles, that such a small percentage of the people going into the FBI are actually agents. But apply for those jobs. They have openings. They don't, they don't leave them open very long. So you have to be vigilant about looking, but they are willing to train you and you can get exposure and really work on some interesting things by applying yeah. for those types of jobs. Yeah, and you can meet some really amazing people. The reason why I got the job that I did coming out of the military, I, I left uh, and I went to work for Stanford Research. Now, the reason why I was able to make that leap is because while I was working on the F-22 Raptor uh, as their director of wide area network security, is we were doing a whole bunch of network penetration testings and vulnerability assessments and the stuff that we normally did. And we actually ended up hiring uh, different uh, experts from all kinds of different organizations. Many of them worked for defense contractors. And I encountered some people who worked for Stanford Research. And so I got to know them. And uh, so when the time came for me to depart, they were one of the people that I called up and I said, Hey, do you think and you know do you, do you think do you think that uh, you know that there'd be room for me on your team? I really enjoyed working with you with you folks, and um, and so that's that that's how I made the leap, and it was it was a wonderful wonderful experience, it was one of the best jobs I've ever had. But that brings up another point, which is this idea of considering nonprofit companies and companies with lower profiles, as you uh, are somebody who wants to get into cybersecurity or grow your career. And, um, and I know, Nancy, when we talked about this, this was a big deal for you. Why don't you say some more about that? Absolutely. I always chose to work for these companies that were these very big, well-known organizations. And I one day decided that um, I wanted to look past that. 
And I started to look at companies that were based upon a mission and that mission not related to um, making money for shareholders, but truly just trying to do the right thing for the right reasons. Mm. I thought I'd have to take like a significant cut. And I thought all sorts of things, which really just ended up not happening. Um, I had this very small list of companies that I started to apply for. And as I interviewed, I realized, I love this. I love this. I love this. I want to work here. And Mm. I actually went home and talked to my husband about a cut that I could take in my salary. And it didn't happen. I ended up not having to take a cut. Mm. And I just got to work on interesting things. So it opened up a whole new level and a whole new group of opportunities to apply for. I encourage people to stop, not only think about the big companies like the Googles or the Salesforces or the, the JP Morgans, but think about the little companies like, or the little things like the Federal Reserve Bank, which is a fabulous place to work or the <laughs> DOD. Or, <laughs> I love how you call the Fed system a little place. That's so cute. It is the opposite of a little place. There's 12 regional banks in the country and it is a massive system, but it it's, is. but you know, but you're on the inside and I know, I know things look different when you're on the inside. And <laughs> what I will say coming from, I worked for JP Morgan, which was gigantic before I worked for the Fed. And each one of the little Federal Reserve Banks is their own little bank. We really partner very well together. We have a whole system IT function, but it feels like I'm coming into this very small bank of about a thousand people when yeah. I go to work in Philadelphia and everybody knows everybody. And yeah, you know, and people take I care work. of each other. I remember you told me what a stark contrast there was culturally coming from a big commercial bank to the Fed and how, uh, how stunned you were, but in a good way, exactly. right? And yeah. my, my, I, I tell this story that my first week, we were looking at eliminating a position, which doesn't happen very often in my bank. And I sat with HR that first week in this meeting where they just talked about the person and how they could bridge that person to retirement and what were the things the person would be interested in. And I said, is this something that you do for, you know, for <laughs> this person? And they're like, for everybody. We really try to kind of look at the individual on our human resource decisions. And I was just stunned that where am I? Is this an alternate universe? But because where you came from, right, it would have been, you know, here's a severance package. Best of luck to you. We love you. But, you know, it's time for you to go. And a great severance package. And but this really approaches this very differently. And we actually took and trained that person into another role and all sorts of other great things that happened. I can't say it can happen across the board for every role, but they really do try to look at the individual because they are small. You know, yeah. it's, it's a thousand people that you're trying to manage versus a hundred thousand people that you're trying right, to manage. Right, 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 right. And so they have the, the bandwidth to be able to do that. Um, Jason and I run small companies, right? I'm a small business owner. Jason's a small business owner. And, and, and I love making opportunities uh, for, for, for people. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's a great idea for, to encourage our audience to look at nonprofits or just, um, there's a lot of B2B companies that as a consumer, you just never hear about. So go on LinkedIn jobs, go other places. Jason, what's your, what's your take on this idea of nonprofit companies or overlooked, uh, companies in the job search? Yeah, I, I think, you know, especially the small and, me, uh, small and medium-sized businesses are ones that you might want to target, especially as somebody trying to get somebody to take a chance on you at the entry-level roles. Um, you, you know, earlier we talked about the fact that, uh, you know, if you're a small startup, you need somebody who has all the ex- exquisite skill sets to be able to do the job. 
Um, that has not been my experience in my company. Uh, we're a small company. We're 15 people as of this recording, and we're continuing to grow. Um, but for us, we hire a lot more for aptitude and uh, knowledge uh, and the ability for them to gain that knowledge, right? So I may not hire somebody who has 100% of the skills like, like you were talking about. Um, for me, if they have 50 or 60%, that's good enough for us because we can train to knowledge. I mean, we're a training company. That's what we do. Uh, I can help you learn how to do pen tests and I can help you learn how to do a cybersecurity scan and those kind of things. Uh, but I can't teach you how to be a good person who cares and actually wants to do the work and that kind of stuff. Um, the other thing I think with smaller companies is sometimes they're more apt to take a chance on you and allow you to move outside of your particular role. So you might get hired on as the IT person at a small, medium-sized company that has 100 people, and you can probably go to your boss and say, hey, I really like the cybersecurity stuff. I noticed that we're really not doing any uh, Nessus scans. We probably should be doing Nessus scans once a week to find out what's vulnerable. Do you mind if I do that? Oh, sure, go right ahead, right? Uh, if I try to do that in the DOD uh, or you know the FBI, they'd be like, no, we've got people for that. You're not in that role, go away, right? Um, and so it's a lot more uh, strict and rigid when you go to these larger companies than in a smaller, medium-sized company. And so I think there's a really good opportunity in small and medium-sized companies to really almost make your job and get yeah. the skill sets you want yeah. um, and be able to build that experience that way. Yeah. Jason, would you tell the story about uh, somebody that we helped recently who uh, had a marketing background and she was trying to cross over into cyber and she ended up getting a really, really amazing opportunity with a small company. Would you mind giving us like a thumbnail sketch of what happened to her? Because I think it fits right into what you're saying. Yeah, definitely. Back in our uh, January hired uh, course, our hired program, we had one of our students. Uh, she came to us. She had a master's degree in marketing. She had 10 to 15 years of experience in the marketing realm, but she really didn't have any IT experience, but she wanted to get into cybersecurity. The closest thing she had done to IT was about 10 or 15 years ago, she worked at a cell phone store doing some you know, tech and hands-on uh, with cell phones. So very, very minimal um, background, no real background in cybersecurity. Um, she was able to find a small company. Uh, I think the company has less than 25 to 50 people in it. Um, and when she interviewed that company, um, they liked her so much because of her personality, her willingness to learn, uh, her ability, that they actually kind of created a position for her. She went in to apply for an analyst type position, a cybersecurity analyst type position. And they said, well, you don't really have the skills for that, but you know, you have this really great marketing background and you really have this you know, really great personality. We need somebody who can work with our B2B clients and teach them about our different offerings and teach them about cybersecurity. And at the same time, we'll help build you into this analyst that you want to be as well but she ended up getting a job doing this almost cybersecurity training, internal trainer and awareness campaign person because they said, oh, we see your marketing background. We think that's a benefit, even though you don't have the cybersecurity background and we'll put those two things together and then be able to have a job that, that works for you. Yeah, um, and yeah. I believe she's starting uh, last week or this week, um, but it was a really great opportunity how they kind of created this job. And you know, if I went to the FBI and applied for something, they're not going to go, oh, you know, you have a great background, but we don't have a job for you. Let's create a job for you, right? But that's what this company <laughs> did because they, you know, sometimes you're just, you're interviewing with the owner. They have that ability to make that decision. And so sometimes these smaller companies are willing to take more of a risk on you and be able to create a position for you based on your skill set, where they see you going, how you can uh, adapt and move up that way. There's also a million opportunities within even the larger companies where they're looking to add additional resources free of charge in your free time. Would you like to work on this project because they need somebody <laughs> volunteer? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's just no reason why not. Yeah, and and also another thing people don't realize, uh, and at the risk of beating this subject to death, but I just want to say one more thing. 
Um, I can't tell you how many people come to us and say, oh, you know, I'm just uh, I'm just a help desk technician or, you know, oh, I, you know, I take care of some some servers or whatever, but I really want to get into cyber. And I'm like, you're already, <laughs> you know, half into cybersecurity. You just don't see it. Let me help you see it. Because, you know, hey, do you ever do you ever, uh, you know, help somebody reset their password? Do you ever, you know, uh, create a file share on the network and, and set some permissions on it or whatever? Do you ever install a patch? Guess what? That's all cybersecurity. So if you're in a position now, whatever it is, look around and ask yourself, where is the cybersecurity that I'm, you know, in the job that I already have? And just start leaning into that, I think, is a is another, you know, another uh, tip that we can that we can share with you about, you know, how to how to move in the in the direction you want to move into uh, based on where you are now. A couple other things we wanted to talk about uh, with you, Nancy. We really wanted to get your your perspective, and 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 let's talk about mentors. Um, we've had a lot of conversations with people about mentoring and how to get a mentor, and there's and there's there's a certain amount of confusion about well, what exactly is a mentor, and particularly about well, how do I get a mentor? Like, you know, is is it a formal thing? Do I have to apply, you know, to be a mentee, um, or you know, uh, or what is it like when I get a mentor? I mean, is it do I get a syllabus? You know, are there lessons? You know, how does it work? Um, but what is what is what does having a mentor mean to you, Nancy? All of the above. So I have had mentoring relationships that have been um, grassroots, just kind of you connect with somebody, like you talked about, um, to leading somebody to understand that the skills that they had were in fact cyber skills. You were mentoring that person, mm. and so those are just very organic. And you meet somebody, and there's a click. And they have some experience that you'll want to get, or you have some experience that you want to share, and you work together to make that happen for somebody. I've also been in formal mentoring programs and built formal mentoring programs mm. where you get paired with somebody based upon some commonality. And then there might be a course that you take to make to get the best you can get out of that mentoring relationship. And you set goals as to this is what I'm trying to get out of this mentoring relationship. And and you go move from there. Mentors don't have to be formal. They can be informal. They can be, I, I saw my mother as a mentor for me. She was a mm. businesswoman who was savvy and smart and managed to balance it all. I learned from watching that. So you don't only have to have one mentor. You can have many at different points in your life. Somebody I mentor today, let me know that they're applying for a job. Surprisingly enough, I'm on the committee for the panel for that job. <laughs> <laughs> I came back and said, I might have to recuse myself from that <laughs> panel because I mentor this person, but you build these relationships. And um, I was thrilled to hear that they were taking some of the advice and suggestions and really putting themselves out there to apply for something that was outside of their wheelhouse, because you know what, they might get that job and they would be great at that job. The mentoring program that I helped build with one of my women in cyber programs um, I actually, one of our targets was to help people break into cybersecurity and get jobs in cybersecurity. And so we attached people that were seasoned, um, that were hiring managers with those that were entry level and just either in college or having graduated or just trying to learn to break in. That's how I got my librarian, mm. uh, for instance, <laughs> from one of those relationships. Great. Uh, so you can absolutely have mentors in many ways. Don't shut the door, learn what you can, but come to an agreement with that person around what are you trying to get out of this and how can they help you? Yeah, yeah. As yeah. a mentee, you are accountable for setting up those times in that relationship. So right. That's what I'll say too, don't, don't think your mentor is going to do that, set up this time with you. 
take ownership for it and set up time with them. Right. Yes. Thank you. Those are those are really good insights and and practical, you know, uh, examples, right, of what a mentor can do for you and, and what that can be like. I, I know some people are very shy about asking somebody to be their mentor, and so you know, one of the things you know, Jason and I talk about in the course that we run is that hey, you need a mentor. However, you know, you however you get a mentor, you need a mentor, and and one of the options is to sign up for mentoring. And, you know, and that's kind of what we do uh, in our in our hired course, right? And we talk we talk a lot about about mentoring, um, and and really that's what this podcast is about. Is we're if you're listening to this podcast right now, hey, guess what? You're in a mentoring relationship. It's a one to many, right? Because because <laughs> we don't, you know, it's not interactive right now. But but you're getting mentored uh, right now, Jason. What do you, what are you thinking about about mentoring? What can you uh, what what have we what have we not said that's important to say? Yeah, so a couple of things. One, uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, you know, this is a form of mentorship. It is a one-to-many form of mentorship. I've had lots of mentors over the years. Some of them are where we actually meet and have lunch once a week and we talk about what's gonna be happening. Uh, some of them are just people that I respect and look up to the way they run their businesses or the way they run their certifications or the way they do things. And that's more of the, um, you know, we all, we all have these influences on our life and, and some of those are, you know, a quasi-mentoring relationship. Uh, in the case of you know this program, uh, for those who, who are listening, if you go to yourcyberpath.com, right on the homepage, you can sign up for Kip's uh, mentor notes, which are an email that he sends out every other week that gives you some mentorship in this whole hiring world and how this stuff works as somebody who's a job seeker. So definitely recommend you do that at yourcyberpath.com. Now, the other thing I like to talk about when you do mentoring is that, as we said, you can't have multiple mentors. Um, you also need to pick the right level of mentor, right? Um, and this comes down to where you are and where you're trying to go. For instance, if I was a brand new person and I'm trying to break into cybersecurity, having a mentor who is somebody like Mrs. Hunter, who is a VP level, very, very senior person who's been in this business for 15, 20 years, is probably not the right mentor for you. Uh, yes, she can probably open some doors and help you get your first job, but she doesn't really uh, necessarily understand what you're going through on a daily basis and the struggles you're facing because she went through those 10, 15, 20 years ago, right? Same thing with me. I've been in this business for a long time. And so if you're a brand new person who just got their first certification, you're trying to break in, I'm a little more removed, at least in my personal experience. Um, now, I happen to be very involved in this again because Kip and I run this podcast and, and we work with students all the time, so I'm still very in touch with that. But in general, if you're talking to somebody who's at a very senior level, they don't necessarily get it. Uh, for what you're going through right now in your struggles because the industry changes. I remember when I first got in the industry back in 2000, 1999, 2000, coming out of high school, nobody cared if you had a college degree. Everything was certifications, right? If you got your, your Microsoft Certified System Administrator, you could get a job. Then we went through a period where nobody would talk to you unless you had a bachelor's degree. Then it started pushing towards master's degrees. Now there's a kickback and there's a lot of people who don't care about degrees again and they just care about certifications. And so these things do go in uh, ebbs and waves and sometimes if you're with somebody who's a very senior person, they may not understand that. So what I like to do is find somebody who's about two to five years ahead of where you are. It's close enough that you can start mimicking their career path in yourself um, and be able to see things and they're not so far removed that they can't necessarily help you, but they're still senior enough that they can open some doors for you because right. they already have some connections as well. So right. I find that to be kind of the sweet spot. Um, if you do have somebody who is very senior, uh, I know this is uh, very popular, especially in minority communities. Um, whether that is black, Latino, women, those different uh, population segments, there is uh, this people at higher levels are trying to help bring in new people into that. And so you do have some senior folks with junior folks. Um, 
totally good, but I also recommend you get somebody who's just a couple of years ahead of you because I think you're going to get more benefit out of that uh, on a daily basis. And when you do mentorship, as you said, it can be uh, you know very laid back. We're just going to meet over coffee and lunch, or it can be very strict where you kind of say, okay, these are my goals for the next seven days, and then in seven days you're going to meet back with that mentor and they're going to verify you did those things. Um, and it can be very structured. Uh, so it really does depend. Um, but for me, I always find that you know that two to five year point of somebody being ahead of you is kind of the sweet spot. Mm. Yeah. And, I, and and just to kind of put a bow on this, um, it, I want to reemphasize something that's really important. Nancy, you said this already, which is as the mentee, you really need to drive the agenda, right? Yeah. Because what you said that kind of made me uh, want to reemphasize that, Jason, is you said, you know, if you've got somebody that's really far ahead of you, like they don't they don't really know what it's like to be a beginner again. Right. So they don't know what you're struggling with. It's difficult for them to to, you know, sort of just realize what your struggles are and where you could use some help. So uh, don't be afraid to drive the agenda uh, when you get into uh, that situation. But um, hey, one more thing, Nancy, we want to talk about as we kind of get to the end of our episode here. And it comes along with mentoring. But you mentioned something just now, women in cyber. Tell us, please, a little bit more about what is that program? Who is it meant for? And um, and then just you know how how uh, you know how does it work? I, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to do that. Uh, I belong to an organization called Women in Cybersecurity. We call ourselves WeSis, We Sisters, and oh. um, yeah, WeSis. And it is a global organization that helps women who aspire to be in cybersecurity, helps women who are in cybersecurity remain there and gives opportunities for those of us that are seasoned in cybersecurity to give back. So there are many, many, many programs with WESIS. Um, there's a mentoring program that's established where you can pick somebody to, to get you a mentor. There's um, education, there's partnerships with some very large companies like Google and, um, and AWS to give you training. And there's events that you can attend. But more importantly, there's local affiliates. And I am the president of a local affiliate that supports Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware. It's called the Delaware Valley Affiliate of WESIS. And we provide free mentoring. Um, we, we, we provide free training, free events, um, just to encourage people to support one another. Um, this was an outgrowth of a smaller grassroots organization that we had held in Philadelphia. And then realize that we could partner with the larger global organization, we says, to have a bigger reach. So we have taken those opportunities and are encouraging people to join us. So, you know, again, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware, I know that there are multiple affiliates and we just are there. We're, we're listening boards. We, we are there. Um, I love the idea, as Jason had said, with a two to five year window for mentors. Well, we encourage people to become that first mentor after two to five years. Mm. And that support helps them to have the courage to say, ah, oh, I've now been doing this for two or three years. Maybe I can help someone else. So I encourage you to look outside. Um, there are other types of um, affinity groups, as Jason had mentioned, for you know people that are African-American or women or Latino. And there's no reason why you can't join multiple ones. Um, I do, I join multiple ones. Um, and I gained something from each one. And there's different yeah, and chapters of WESIS, right? There are absolutely different chapters of WESIS. I said, I'm just the Delaware Valley division, mm -hmm. but there's a chapter that's associated, that's um, specifically for students mm -hmm. who want to come into WESIS. Um, so that different stages in your career, 
you can find an organization there. There is a small fee to join the WESIS global organization, and that fee can be reduced if you're already doing a government type job or if you work for a nonprofit. But, um, and we have scholarships that for those people who cannot afford to be there um, on their own, there are scholarships and just support network um, that, that is invaluable. Yeah, I just want to point out there, there's a couple other uh, organizations just like Women in Cyber that I've personally worked with over the years, and I am not one of those minorities. I am the standard middle-aged white guy, uh, <laughs> but I have worked with organizations like Blacks in Tech, BIT. They're based out of Georgia, uh, and they are very big on helping people across the technology spectrum, not just cybersecurity. And another organization when I was in the D.C., Maryland area that I worked with was Women's Cyber Jitsu, uh, WSC. And uh, they are another great organization that does a lot of the same type of things where they are focused on training, outreach. They even have a program down to middle school and high school girls to try to get them interested in cybersecurity and start bringing that path forward as we try to fill some of that cybersecurity gap. So there's lots of great organizations. And if you're not a minority, like me, I'm not a minority, you can still be involved with a lot of these organizations uh, because they still have a need for people to serve as mentors, people who can help train, people who can help with fundraisers and all sorts of other things. So there's lots of good opportunities to get involved either as a participant or somebody who's trying to help the organization. Yep. Our board actually has men, women, people at different stages in their career from entry level to seasoned. So get in there and, and put your name in to help. There's just no reason why you can't participate. Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for talking about WESIS. Now I actually know how to say the acronym. I had, I had no idea how to say it. I've encountered the org many times, but I was like, hmm, that's probably a way to say that. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's a great mnemonic. Well, um, thank you so much, Nancy, for being here. I think it's about time we, we, we need to wrap up our episode. Um, but I wanted to give you a chance to just, you know, any final words for, uh, for the folks in our audience who are either trying to break into cybersecurity or trying to grow their cybersecurity career. Any other thoughts for them? Yeah, you're limited by yourself. So the answer is always no if you never ask. Ask, apply, try, reach out, because you'll find that people are willing to talk and encourage you, and the answer could be yes. So you're limited only by yourself. I love that. I love that. Jason? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, exactly what Nancy said, you know, ask. Um, and I think the other thing is when you ask somebody to be your mentor or if they'll give you their time, um, you need to phrase it. A lot of things we talk about is how you phrase things, right? And I know you've used this before, Kip. Uh, when you ask somebody, it, it shouldn't be, hey, what can they do for me? But you want to ask them, hey, would you would you be okay if I bought you coffee and you tell me about how you got into cybersecurity, right? People love talking about themselves. So that's a great way to kind of introduce and broach this concept because um, I've had a lot of people who say, hey, will you review my resume? It's like, well, uh, I have a million people asking me that. I don't have time to do everybody's, so no, I'm going to say no, right? But it's like, oh, will you meet with me for 15 minutes and talk to me about how you got into this or how you overcame this challenge or blah, 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 blah usually you'll say, yeah, I'd love to talk about that, right? So um, the easier you can make it for the mentor, uh, because most of these people you wanna work with are very busy people. I'm sure Nancy is tremendously busy in her job at the Federal Reserve. Um, and you know, I really appreciate the fact she took 30 minutes out of her day to come and meet with us to share with all of you. And when you're trying to find people like that, um, you have to make it easy for them because their schedules are just so darn busy. Um, that, that's my, my two cents there, Kip. Ah, appreciate it very much. Okay, Jason, well, I think that's a wrap. Why don't you, uh, why don't you uh, close us out? 
Yeah, definitely. I want to thank everybody again uh, for joining us. I want to thank Nancy for joining us and spending some of her valuable time with us. Uh, if you uh, would like to leave a review for the podcast on any of your favorite podcast players, we would really appreciate that. Your podcast reviews really help the podcast stand out and have other people find it and so they can get the help as well. So until next time, we'll see you on the next Your Cyber Path. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Your Cyber Path. Don't miss an episode. Press the subscribe button now. If you would like to learn more about how to get your dream cybersecurity job, then be sure to visit yourcyberpath.com, where you can access the show notes, search the archive of our top tips and tricks, and discover some fantastic bonus content.